There's a place in the world that will never be the same because of you. At St. Mary's University of Minnesota, we'll prepare you for that place. You will launch a new career or grow your current career because of your St. Mary's education. One that is personal, practical, and provides purpose to drive your decisions as you move from making a living to making your best life. And throughout your journey, we will be there as you set out for a destination that will never be the same because of you. St. Mary's University of Minnesota, because of you. From St. Mary's University of Minnesota, you're listening to St. Mary's Currents. I'm your host, Ben Rogers. On January 19th, 2023, the United States hit its debt limit, sparking economic and political concerns. We do want to turn out to a looming financial crisis that could affect every American family. Congress is on the verge of a political showdown after the Treasury Secretary warned lawmakers that the U.S. is projected to reach its debt limit. With the debt ceiling at its limit, politicians are now set up for a drawn-out battle over solutions how to combat the issue. If Congress does not do so, the federal government could face a debt default, and many warn it would be cataclysmic, tanking the country's credit rating and sending interest rates soaring. Today, we're joined by returning guest Andrew Scott to discuss the inner workings of national debt, what policies politicians might consider, and how those policies could impact regular Americans. Andrew, it's great to have you back on the podcast. The last time you were on, we had a great discussion regarding inflation. And I have a feeling today's conversation about the national debt will be beneficial for our listeners as well. But before we dive into this topic, would you mind reintroducing yourself to our wonderful audience? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me back. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. I teach primarily down at our Winona campus. I'm a finance professor in the business and communication department. I teach a lot of our upper level finance classes. But I also teach our general corporate finance class for all of our business majors. So if you get a degree in marketing or management, you got to come through uh, my corporate finance class. So I get a chance to meet and get to know all of our great business students here at at St. Mary's. Very nice. On January 19th, 2023, the United States hit its debt limit, sparking economic and political concerns. In the coming months, politicians are expected to battle it out over solutions. For our listeners who may not be overly familiar with the debt ceiling, can you explain national debt and what occurs when we as a country have hit our spending limit? Sure, absolutely. First, I think it's important that we know that debt is not a bad thing, right? For a country, for a business, for an individual or a family, you know, debt on its own, it can be really good. It can help propel us forward faster than we might be able to otherwise, right? Many of us get student loans so that we can kind of really propel our lives forward. Businesses will go into debt so that they can grow their businesses faster than they otherwise would be able to. Same thing with the government, a federal government as large as the United States. Debt can be a good thing because it can help us grow faster than we might otherwise be able to. So in the United States, it's our U.S. Treasury that is kind of in charge of managing this debt. The U.S. Treasury is part of the executive branch of, of the government right? There's all of those different departments, Department of the Interior, Department of Homeland Security, Department of the Treasury. And that's the department that's responsible for executing fiscal policy in the United States. So we might know of them because we have to interact as individuals or businesses with the IRS, right? That's part of the Treasury. They get inflows, they get an income through those taxes that we pay as individuals or businesses 
to the U.S. Treasury. And then also, the Treasury has to figure out how and when to spend the federal government's money. Projects, infrastructure, education, research, defense. And some of those spending decisions are guided by Congress, right, in collaboration with the legislative branch of the government. But sometimes there are directives to spend more money than there's inflows to support that spending via the IRS and and via tax revenue. So that's where this whole notion of governmental debt comes into place, right? Just like you or I, Ben, if, if we have a month or a year where we've got, you know, lower income than expected from a job or from, you know, gig work, whatever it might be, and we've got some pretty hefty expenses that year, we might have to take out a home equity loan or take out a personal loan or, you know, go into credit card debt in order to get us by in that season. So, you know, for the U.S. Treasury, you know, they can't just swipe a credit card like you or I can. They have to resort to some different measures. And largely, they're able to fill in this budgetary gap by selling government securities, government bonds. And, you know, many people don't know exactly how this process works. It's actually pretty slick. If the U.S. Treasury is short and and needs to cover that shortfall, the easiest thing they can do is go issue some T-bills. And this is just a short-term government debt security that they can sell to usually it's institutions out there. It's large financial institutions, large banks. You know, think of Bank of America, think of, you know, Fuji, think of Credit Suisse or UBS or Barclays, some of these large multinational banks. They're the ones that are investing in these government securities. They're providing millions and millions of dollars to the United States Treasury, and they're being promised that the U.S. Treasury is going to pay them back later. So it's not a bad thing to have debts. I I think there's some folks that are pretty debt averse as individuals in in our own lives or as business owners. And uh, we worry that the the government just having debt at all is, is a bad thing, but it's really not. It's a good thing that can kind of help propel us forward. So Ben, to get back to your original question, you know, what occurs when we we hit this spending limit, when we hit this debt limit? Well, we have currently a debt limit around $31 trillion, and that was approved back in December of 2021. So we decided, our legislative body has decided that that's probably the most amount of debt that we ought to have. Just like in our own lives, we might say, yeah, $1,000 on a credit card at some point is, is not too terrible, but we don't want $20,000 in credit card debt. So 31 and some change, $31 trillion is is where we've established as of December 2021 uh, where we ought to be. And we've now hit that. We've approached that and hit that. In fact, January 13th of this year, 2023, uh, Janet Yellen, who is the current Secretary of the Treasury, notified Congress, hey, in a few days on January 19th, we're, we're going to hit this limit. And then she followed up later on January 19th itself and said, hey, Congress, uh, I warned you this was going to happen. Here we are. It's January 19th, and we've hit this $31 trillion limit. Uh, so what happens? Well, in the short term, there are some extraordinary measures that that can occur that have been previously agreed to by politicians on both sides of the aisle, along with uh, with the Treasury, in tandem with the Treasury. And, and really, the main change that we've seen over the last few days since we hit this debt limit on January 19th is there's a suspension to contributions to some investments into some funds. You know, if we in our own households 
get in a position where it's hard for us to pay our bills. Well, we can't save as much for retirement. We can't save as much for that down payment on a house. We have to suspend some of our saving and investing activities if we get in that debt crunch. So that's the first thing that happens, and it's already happened, right? On January 19th, Janet Yellen of the Treasury notified Congress that this is happening. And in fact, just a couple of days ago on January 24th, Janet Yellen sent a, another message to Congress saying, hey, uh, we're still uh, without a new debt limit and we're still suspending investments in some of these funds. So, you know, things like the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund, for example, is something that's not being fully funded anymore. So that's, you know, a short-term adjustment that has to be made as soon as we hit that that spending limit. The U.S. Treasury does no longer have the authority to issue any more new debt that would surpass that $31 trillion mark. I believe strongly, especially as Treasury Secretary in the fiscally sustainable path that's important for any country, but it can't be negotiated over whether or not we're going to pay our bills. And not to do so would have devastating economic consequences. So I believe in the end we will find a way around this and Congress will act to meet what I believe is a shared bipartisan responsibility to raise the debt ceiling. By the way, Janet Yellen is a phenomenal individual. Uh, we'll go down in history as being the first ever woman to be both the chair of the Federal Reserve and later, under a different president, the Secretary of the Treasury. So we're in really good hands on, on that front. Janet Yellen knows exactly what she's doing and, and is well-versed in this and, and should be at the helm right now. So you mentioned uh, sometimes it's a good thing to hold debt. However, obviously, there are also adverse effects of debt. So what happens if the U.S. were to default on these debts? Well, I don't think we will. I, I, I can't see a scenario where we will default because the outcome of that would be so catastrophic. I can't see that anyone in Congress right now would allow us to default on our debt because it would be pure chaos, pure panic. If we had insufficient cash to pay the nation's bills and pay those back who would lend us money, absolute chaos. The financial markets would go wild. Most financial securities, both in the United States and abroad and globally, the rates on those securities are tied to U.S. treasuries as a risk-free asset, as a risk-free investment. So, for example, if there is a four-year corporate bond in a company like you know, Ford Motor Company, that interest rate tied to that four-year bond is based on the interest rates on a four-year U.S. federal government treasury security. So if treasuries are no longer risk-free, if there is risk of default, if the government may not pay back on those securities, then it becomes extremely difficult to value any other security in the marketplace. Those risk premiums that those securities pay, the premiums above and beyond the risk-free U.S. treasuries, it, it would be impossible to know what those premiums should be any longer. So immediately any financial assets that you or I own in our portfolios, in our retirement fund, any you know, businesses that hold securities or have lent money to, to other businesses for investment purposes, 
it would be chaos trying to figure out what those securities are valued at. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is we would immediately face a self-imposed financial crisis. Interest rates would would rise quickly. They would go through the roof. No one would know exactly what appropriate interest rates ought to be. So they would err on the side of having them be higher, too high. Credit markets would freeze. People would stop lending to one another. Businesses would stop lending to other businesses. There wouldn't be any trade credits any longer in in business-to-business deals. Banks would stop lending to businesses. We would surely enter an abrupt recession, perhaps larger than the 2007-2008 recession. We would see millions of jobs lost immediately. It would be, be pure chaos in the markets. And also, individuals and families that are depending on U.S. funding would really suffer. So those in line for Social Security benefits, or I mentioned earlier, the Civil Servants Retirement and Disability Fund, child tax credits recipients, small business owners looking for federal loans, military employees looking for their paycheck, right? There just wouldn't be enough cash to be able to sustain all of these obligations. So the markets would be crazy, and also there'd be a lot of people out of work Uh, and looking for those benefits from the U.S. government. Also, we would lose all of our trust as a nation. So nobody would ever lend to us ever again. All of those institutions that give the government money when they have access, uh, they wouldn't do it again, especially for a decent interest rate. So in order to build our economy in the future or grow our, our government, grow our country in the future, it would be near impossible. Pundits expect, you know, a bitter political fight ahead on this issue. Uh, What do you think we can expect to see from politicians on both sides of the aisle as they try to combat this issue? Well, it's a a bit unfortunate. This is a really tense, short-term, acute problem that needs to be solved right now to avoid all those things that I just mentioned. Right. I think everyone realizes that, that it is so grave. It must be solved and solved quickly. And unfortunately, I think there are some folks in our political system that will take this as an opportunity to lobby for, argue for some long-term solutions that fit their political ideology or their political party. So, you know, generally, of course, uh, we see the Democrats are, are seeking to raise taxes, to you know, have more social spending. Republicans traditionally want to reduce the size of, of the federal government and reduce government spending. So I think we're going to see people, you know, discussing and and lobbying for those ideologies in this time of acute pain and hurts. And I don't think that's the right time to do it because we have so much at stake. There's so much at risk right now. You know, it would be like if uh, a patient had a heart attack and instead of kind of tending to the patient and and getting them propped up and, and, you know, ready to go, the doctors took the opportunity to argue you know, whether or not the patient should be exercising more or, or you know, having a better diet, right? Those are valid conversations to have um, and, and probably necessary conversations to have. But, you know, while you're in the ER room, it's not the time to do that. You have to attack that acute issue. And, and that's what I think we need to do right now politically is, you know, address the, the debt ceiling, address the spending limit. And, um, you know, worry about some of those other political ideologies after the fact. And unfortunately, I don't think that's what we're going to see. I think, you know, we're going to see some charades for maybe a week or two where folks that are, are very strong in their political beliefs 
uh, are going to be discussing those ideologies and trying to work some of those things that benefit their parties into some bill that increases the debt limit when really what we just need to do in the short term is increase the debt limit and then worry about you know kind of our long-term financial sustainability after the fact we'll be right back in a minute At St. Mary's University of Minnesota, our student success is at the heart of all we do. If you're ready to grow, to get an education that's future ready, and to go beyond making a living to making a life, St. Mary's is ready for you. Just like Emmy Johnson, Vice President and Chief Security Officer at Alina Health. I made the decision to go to St. Mary's for a plethora of reasons. One, I wanted to be able to see myself in the community as being a student. And the idea of going to a large university where thousands and thousands and thousands of people went to campus was a bit overwhelming to me. And so when I made the decision to go to St. Mary's, I wanted to be able to step in and be a part of the community. And the faculty, my fellow students welcomed me and I felt a sense of belonging right away, right as I uh, began my undergraduate degree. The world will change for the better because of you. To learn more about St. Mary's University of Minnesota and start your journey, Learn more at smumn.edu. Now I want to dive in to what this could mean for regular people and households. Obviously, one big concern to already come out of this fight is potential cuts to benefits like Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. I can also help but think of recent spending like the COVID-19 stimulus checks and the child tax credit that have benefited millions and how maybe you know future programs like these could be in jeopardy. As someone who has studied economics, how do you think this will impact the average American? Well, in the short term, I, I don't think it is. I think we are going to come to our senses. We're going to pass the bill to increase the debt limit. Our legislators are going to work with those, the Treasury and the executive branch, to make this thing come together. We might see some political charades again for a few weeks and until we can come to a resolution. But ultimately, short term, I, I don't think it's going to affect us as everyday Joes. It's, it's not going to do a whole lot. Now, long term, I don't think what we're doing is sustainable, right? We can't have low taxes and have really high government spending. There's going to be a deficit, which then means we have to fund that deficit with debt. So that's something that we need to take a hard look at long term. You know, I don't think we can have our cake and eat it too. We have to have some solution. And I think it's probably a combination of those two things. Um, you know, managing taxes appropriately, the inflows or income to the federal government, and then managing spending appropriately as well. So I think long term as individual business owners, entrepreneurs, students, working professionals, retirees, we just need to maybe gear ourselves up for a time when we can't depend on the same degree of federal government support just because federal government might not be able to offer as much support in a long-term scenario, right? And that's not a political stance or tech. It's just math, right? It doesn't work out that we can do what we're doing forever. So hopefully after this 
bill over the current debt limit gets passed and we have a, a short-term solution, we can start thinking about some more long-term solutions and, and get together on that before we run into this issue again in a couple of years. So long-term, you know, there's some that are concerned the social security pool is going to dry up. We're not going to be able to fully fund social security forever. And I don't think social security is going to go away. I just think probably there'll be some changes for folks that are my age. Uh, we might not be able to access our full social security at age 67 any longer as regular retirement age. It might be pushed back to 70. I don't think the program's going to implode, right? Some folks say it's a government officiated Ponzi scheme where we're you know putting money in now. Those that are in retirement now are, are able to draw from it. There's not going to be anything left later. I think it's always going to exist in some form, but in order to avoid continually increasing our national debt, we're going to have to make some changes to these social security programs and other social programs. So, you know, likely we might see some tweaks like that. So uh, the moral of the story is that for everyday individuals, you know, where we're living in a country that has year over year deficits almost every year now, it seems, uh, we're going to have to think forward. This is not sustainable. We need to start maybe saving more for our future, uh, preparing for a time when we might have to fund for more of our own sustainability and existence and, and depending less long-term on the federal government for sustainability and existence. Considering some of those possibilities, how can individuals prepare now for what could come as a result of legislative action on the debt ceiling? Well, quick answer is we can save a little bit more. We can you know, really evaluate our discretionary spending. If we're worried that you know, long-term, uh, if there's inflation, if there's changes to social programs, uh, we really need to make sure that we're prioritizing our, our own personal long-term financial sustainability, which um, is a hard pill to swallow, right? When we go see a financial planner and they say, hey, maybe one less trip to Disney World and, and a little bit more savings in the retirement account, you know, that's not happy news for us to receive. But Perhaps that's necessary news if we want to prepare for a time 40 years, 50 years, 60 years into the future where we might be living in an era where there's perhaps less available federal support for social programs and higher taxes to be able to bridge that gap, that spending deficit that we have right now. So I do think also that increases in the, the debt limits are, are certainly going to happen naturally because of inflation, but there's another reason why our, our debt might increase, and, and that's because of some really strategic change to our operations as a country. It might increase or decrease, and, and I think we need to be prepared as individuals for a time when we're not living quite as high on the hog as a nation anymore. We see globalization continue and, and equalization across borders and countries. We might need to be a little bit more prepared to serve our own needs and, and support ourselves during, you know, a decade in the future where we have less government funding availability. Again, this is expected to be a big fight in Congress. Uh, when people are consuming media surrounding this issue, are there any myths or talking points they may hear from politicians, economists, or pundits that they may want to be wary of? Absolutely. I, I think whether it's this issue or any other political issue, we need to be really careful about how and where we consume media. And I think it's 
really important that we don't develop an affinity bias by you know only consuming media from one source that has a similar political ideology as as what we have or only talking to people in our inner circle that have a similar political ideology i think it's really important that we kind of expand and listen to both sides and then create our own opinion about the issue or our own understanding about the issue um for example right now as we're recording this podcast there is a live press conference being had by senior Republicans in Congress talking about this issue. And I think only to tune into that news conference and not hear from the other side of the aisle would be a mistake. So just kind of generally, you know, be careful about where we're consuming media from. And I'll, because I'm interested in this subject, I'll go and listen to both and watch both, right? So, you know, there are some outlets, I'll pick on the token Fox News for being that really conservative right-wing outlet, and then CNN is that liberal or left-wing outlet. And I think just to consume media from one of the two would be a mistake, because then we'd only be getting one side of the story. So if we could, you know, try to absorb things that are from both of those political ideologies, that's a good thing for us. And also, if we focus on receiving information about this type of thing from a news source that is known for reporting on fact rather than opinion or providing entertainments. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I loved to watch the Colbert Report on Comedy Central with Stephen Colbert. It was an entertainment show, right? So I think it's really important that we're careful about where we consume media from. And those entertainment shows are great, but it shouldn't be the only place that we go to get that information. Um, that said, I think we're going to see some myths that are presented to us in the media around this issue. And I think it's important that we understand the facts around these these talking points. So I think the first one is that the debt limit that we've been talking about so far is, is the same as a government shutdown. And they're really not the same thing at all. Right? The government shutdown is, which we've seen in, the, in recent years a few times over, is just when the federal government fails to pass an appropriations bill or a spending bill, when the government fails to identify how much we're going to spend on research and how much we're going to spend on education and how much we're going to spend on infrastructure and everything else that they spend money on. So we might see for a few days or even a few weeks, they stop spending on those things. There are some government employees that get furloughed because we haven't passed a bill to suggest just exactly how much we're going to spend on, on those offices and, and those things. So that's completely different than what we're talking about with the debt limit. If we were to fail to pay back on our debts, the full credit and trust in the United States government would be called into question. It would be a much larger issue. We would see chaos in the financial markets. Again, we would see a deep recession. And, and that's very different than the outcome from a, a short government shutdown. So those are two very different things that we hear political pundits talking about them as being the same or of the same degree, they're not at all the same. Also, I think we'll hear from, from some media sources that you know, raising the debt limit is somehow going to increase our standard of living or increase what the government is going to start spending money on in the future. And, and that's not the issue at all. Right now, we need to increase the debt limit just so that we can pay off the things that we've already committed to paying for, right? We're obliged to meet our financial obligations that we've committed to in the past. And, and that's what this debt limit increase is related to. It, it's not going to change anything about how we choose to reside or our standard of living in the future. 
Also, if Congress and the administration just cut jobs or cut spending, we wouldn't need this debt limit. I think that's another myth, and that's absurd also, right? If Congress all of a sudden decided to cut spending abruptly, we would still need to increase the debt limit in order to meet our obligations. So it's another myth that we might hear. You know, it's not as simple as immediately turn off the spigot, stop spending, and we, we won't have to increase the debt limit. That's false. We have to increase the debt limit in the short term to get over the hump. Long term, the government might wish to consider reducing spending, but that's not the solution right now. Um, And then lastly, also, many believe that this is not urgent. It's not time sensitive, that maybe Congress or the Treasury, we can just kind of put off thinking about the debt limit or talking about it. But it is absolutely urgent. It's something that has to be discussed and decided upon uh, right now, because, again, the temporary extraordinary measures can only get us by for so long. We, We can't result to abiding by those extraordinary measures forever. So... This is something that is extremely time sensitive, despite what any political pundit or commentator might say. Well, Andrew, thank you so much again for joining us. It's great to have you on. Always enjoy speaking with you. And yeah, I, I really think that this is going to be a valuable episode for our listeners. So thank you so much. Great. I appreciate the time and appreciate being here. Thanks, Ben. St. Mary's Currents is a production of the St. Mary's University of Minnesota Office of Marketing and Communication. It is produced by Ben Rogers and Deb Nergang. It is recorded, edited, and engineered by Jeffrey DeMarsh. Our theme music is written by Will Van de Cromert. I'm Ben Rogers. We'll see you next time for St. Mary's Currents. Separate yourself from the rest and take your career to the next level with an online degree from St. Mary's University of Minnesota. Nationally ranked and fully accredited, our programs are student-centered with faculty that infuse practical career experience into their teaching and engage in their disciplines. Set your own schedule with our flexible online platform and access your coursework anywhere. With our selection of affordable online degree programs, promising career opportunities will follow. Explore what's next at St. Mary's University of Minnesota.